Hey everybody, it's Brant and I'm back with another video in the series, Let's Fix the Kiss Albums. Today we're going to be talking about Animalize from Kiss. And I'm going to have my trusty co-producer, uh, Rob, who's going to be kind of acting in an executive producer capacity this time. Kind of like Gene did in uh, the recording of Animalize. We're going to have a special guest producer who's going to co-produce with me today, Miss Emily Graziano from Instagram. You've seen her in videos before. She's going to be here in this video. And we're going to talk about Animalize here on uh, Mark St. John's birthday at the time that we're recording this. And so um, happy birthday, Mark. Rest in peace. And we're going to touch on that in just a little bit. So let's see what we can do to fix Animalize in this video. And if you've not ever seen me before, please sure to hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button, interact down in the comments, and share the video out to everybody. Let's get started. So I'm back with Rob and with Emily on this one. And like I said in the introduction, Emily is going to be acting in a co-producing fashion and Rob is going to be acting in Gene Simmons fashion. Rob from Right Between the Eyes, he's got his money bag hat on there and I'm telling him he should have had the shades. I know, and, I, I'm prepared. <laughs> and talk real close into your mic and say, yeah, let's talk about me. Let's and talk more about me, please. That's right, that's right. And uh, from Instagram, I've got the lovely uh, Emily Graziano and her mother, Mama Sandy, like I like to call her. Uh, and even though we're actually about the same age, I still call her Mama Sandy because she's Sandy's mom. She's uh, not Sandy. She's em Emily's mom. And so it's good to have Emily back in a video. Finally, uh, this is a series that I wanted to bring people back from the past videos. And Emily uh, said, you know, she wanted to get her hands on Animalize and, uh, you know, cause I mean, come on. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that Animalize is double platinum or at least platinum plus. It's amazing that it is. Mm -hmm. And it just shows the strength of one song on this album that projected it. And maybe a little bit of the momentum that they had going with Lick It Up. Uh, that helped this album sell a little more than it did. But before we get into that, we just want to kind of go around the screen here and just talk to, I want to talk to Mama Sandy. So Sandy, how have you been doing since it's been a while since we've been in a video together? And I know you're just going to say, hey, in this one, and we're going to get you further more into a video later on uh, in the series or some doing something. We'll pull out our Kiss stuff and look at it and talk about it. We'll do something together. But how have you been doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. And all you do is work. <laughs> I'm well. All I do is work. That's all we all do. <laughs> and and then we play in our kiss rooms and make our little podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you. You look good. Looks, looks like you've been doing well. And uh, I know that you've been keeping Emily straight, and that's a full time job right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So um, I wanted, while I had you on, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Mark St. John. You know, it's his Mark's birthday today. And I'm going to look here on Wikipedia. You know, we all, we know, we can all believe Wikipedia. Um, but it, this is pretty accurate in this. Mark Leslie Jordan, Mark Leslie Norton, not Leslie Jordan. Um, Mark <laughs> Leslie Norton, uh, born February 7th, 1956, um, passed away April 5th, 2007. He was better known as Mark St. John. He was an American guitarist for the, and best known for his brief stint uh, with Kiss that only lasted from April to November. I couldn't believe that when I read that. I'd forgotten yeah. that he had actually only been with the band like eight months. 
Uh, it's kind of sad, untimely what happened with Mark and his hand. Um, his work can be heard on the band's 1984 album, Animalized, that we're talking about, and their upcoming 2023-2023 live <laughs> album off the soundboard. I'm so freaking stoked about that album. I cannot yeah. wait. I yes, can't wait. Yes. I can't wait for the Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, and he was also the co-founded the glam metal band White Tiger. And he also had a stint where he played with Peter Chris for a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, Trivia. Do you know what the name of the band was called? I've got the, it right the, here. Oh, well, there we go. Please want, tell me. The name of the band. I got I to scroll down into it here. Um, but the name of the band. Go ahead and tell me. You you, you know what. So instead of me having to look it up. Go ahead Keel, and tell me. K-E-E-L. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, let's see. Yep. Let's see. The keep is what oh, the Wikipedia keep. says. Keep. Yeah. The keep. keep. I don't know why the I said keep. Keel. The yeah. keep. Uh, it was essentially white tiger with Chris replacing Brian Fox on drums and David Donato replacing original vocalist, David McDonald. Um, it's real sad uh, what happened with Mark. And, but honestly, I don't think, Mark would have lasted very long. I think he would have went the way of Vinnie Vincent really quickly um, because mm -hmm. even in the studio, we'll find out as we're going through these tracks on the album, even in the studio, um, there was already some tension. And I think there actually was more tension with Mark than there was with Vinnie because at least Vinnie wrote songs. And I don't know if, if, uh, if Mark St. John was a songwriter or not, but I know that he doesn't have one writing credit on Animalize, whereas Vinnie Vincent is all over the anim all over the writing credits of the, the albums he was involved in with Creatures, mm -hmm. with uh, Lick It Up, with Revenge. He's all over those as right as far as writing credits goes. Uh, but I do want to show this. This this um, I was waiting on you guys to come on a little bit ago, and I was looking and this came up on uh kiss online have y'all seen this on kiss online yet yeah um, no. did you see what what kiss online posted just 23 minutes ago i mean we've oh, gone, i thought we've you gone, meant earlier today wow we've gone through this whole day and this is what kiss online posted today or just now it's a tribute to hmm. mark st john oh Oh, I saw that on um, uh, Twitter. I, I just saw that on Twitter, like before I came on here. Yeah. Well, take let's take a moment to remember our friend Mark St. John, our yeah, friend Mark St. Cool. John, who would have turned fifty-seven to, or sixty-seven today. And they have the pictures from the uh, from the tour book. And uh, I've got a video. Um, I've got a video that's going to be coming out. Uh, where I found this neat little kiss store, this uh, this music memorabilia store and this little indoor flea market that my wife's been setting up and doing some of her crafting stuff at. And the guy has some kiss stuff. And he let me come in there and take some videos of some of the stuff that he has. And he has in his glass case, a animalized and a psycho circus tour book. Wow, and, that's cool. And I am getting some Peter Chris memorabilia signed for him because uh, I had I'm I'm going to meet Peter Chris in a couple of weeks, not this Saturday, but the next. I have a meet and greet signed uh, to meet Peter Chris. I can get five things signed, and I could only come up with three things for him to sign 
that I really thought mattered. And I had two spots open and he's like, dude, he had two things he wanted to sign, get signed that uh, for the, get Peter to sign. So I'm going to see if he'll cut me some kind of deal on those two tour books. Cause I would love to have nice. the animalized tour book. I'd love Same to have here. that. Wow. Um, but if I acquire it, I will show it, but I'm at least going to show it in that video that I've got. So um, does anybody, before we move on to producing animalize and trying to fix this thing, uh, does anybody have any thoughts about Mark St. John, any thoughts, opinions or anything? I think one of the cool or the analogy that Paul has used, I think it was in one of their long form videos that he referred to like Mark St. John, like the Pope, like one day there was a Pope and the next day the Pope died and there was somebody new, meaning like Mark's time in the band was so short that no one really got to know or experience who he was other than in the heavens on fire video. And then when you went to the show, you were like, Oh, well, there's a brunette on stage, a, a dark haired gentleman. I, that must be Mark St. John. Turns mm -hmm. out it's actually Bruce Kulick. So very few people ever got to see him. He did two and a half shows and that was and that was it. So mm -hmm. the fact that his second full show and his last show is the one that's going to come out is that's like getting the holy grail of Kiss Grails in my book of this guitar player that the only footage we ever had is the heavens on fire video. And now we're going to get a full, you know, po you know, possibly high def concert to hear Mark St. John do a lot of these classic songs is, I think that is one of the biggest compliments the biggest uh, tributes that could pay Mark St. John and Eric Carr too, not citing Eric Carr, but to mm -hmm. get both of them on a live album together. If you would have asked me, you know, 20 years ago, did I ever think there was going to be a Mark St. John anything ever put out beyond Animalize? I would have said no. So um, I think this is a really cool move by Universal. And uh, I think it's going to be something that Kiss fans are going to be able to cherish and go, oh, that's Mark St. John. Right. So. Right. I agree. In my last video that, that I did, uh, the In Our Heads with me and AJ, we speculated on what box sets might be coming out, what deluxe box what deluxe versions they might put out and we speculated what the next box what the next uh off the soundboard would be and they announced it the same the next day i was editing and i was in the middle of editing and i just happened to you guys started pinging me uh <laughs> rick was pinging me and matthew smith matthew smith was pinging me and you were pinging me and I just stopped in the middle of my editing and created like this voiceover and just stopped the press and put in that they were putting this out. And we were nowhere, you know, we were talking about maybe Asylum would be cool. I was expecting maybe an, if they did do an, an, an no makeup, you know, non-makeup off the soundboard, which we were speculating was unlikely. But if they did do it, maybe it would be towards revenge hot in the shade mm -hmm. somewhere, you know, maybe asylum. I did not expect, and I did not expect animalize at all. And on top of that, I didn't expect whenever I've said before, Oh, it'd be really cool if they cleaned up, if they could get the rights to the MTV, uh, animalize live. live. If they could get the rights to that and clean that up and put that out. No, nowhere in my mind did I even conceive 
that they even a had a recording of mm -hmm. Mark St. John that was worth putting out and B, if they did, they would actually put it out. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that they are, that they're going to do this. I'm really, I, I, I bought the whole little <laughs> package thing all together and they had some side steps on that too. You know, uh, Rob, I mean, you talked about the cards and mm -hmm. you put the, your self-designed cards up on your Instagram, uh, on your social media. And that's what they should have done. They should have done exactly what you did. That background and that cool eighties kind of upside down triangle mm -hmm. logo, uh, that graphic. And then, the pick some of the picks from the tour tour book yeah I mean, they have rights to those things i don't just don't understand why they didn't do it so not um, to get into it but what i think it probably is that they're producing something brand new with mark and eric's likeness and both families haven't written off on it mm -hmm. so as yeah. long as it's something like the creatures has eric's face on it because that was already on an existing product and that's the album cover but to create something new that didn't exist before i don't think either they wanted to contact the families or the families were like no we're, right. we're not going to so right that's exactly. hard to say exactly um and uh but i remember you talked about you talked about uh bruce kulik i remember you know kind of uh being being honest i went to an animalized show and I, rem I until they actually called Bruce by name, I thought he was Mark St. John. Everybody thought he was Mark St. John because I wasn't really close enough to really be able to tell the difference. I mean, he didn't quite look like him, but, you know, we already had that bait and switch with, I remember the Creatures Tour, we were expecting Ace and here come Vinny. So, um, but I was a little closer for that tour. I wasn't, I, maybe I was on the floor, but I was a little back whenever, uh, but I remember Bruce being there, but the shirt that I had, we talked about this in our, I think it was me and Xander, not me and you, but me and Xander mm -hmm. talked about this in our video that he had an animalized shirt that he got offline and it had Bruce on it. And I was, tell, I was telling him after the fact that I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned it in the video, but my shirt that I had that I wore out that I got from the show had Mark St. John on it. And they basically photoshopped Bruce's head in over Mark St. Whoa. John to to make to make that to make that shirt for Bruce. Whenever the tour extended on, the Animalized tour extended on, they changed the shirt. Um. So yeah. So there's two different versions of shirts out there. You can go. On, I think I saw one the other day on Etsy that had Mark St. John's face on it. They mm -hmm. wanted like eighty bucks for it. So um. Yeah. So, uh, Sandy, do you have any, I asked Emily, do you have any thoughts about Mark or anything? Were you a real big Kiss fan when Animalize came out or, or had you kind of checked out or what was, what was going on with you when it come to Animalize? Animalize, I, I listened to it, but I kind of fell off a little bit at the time mm -hmm. because I just, yeah, there's just certain times in my life that I kind of like went away from it and I came back, but Eric Carr kind of, you know how I feel about Eric Carr. He kind of kept my attention with it, mm -hmm. but Mark St. John was in it for so just a little amount of time that I just kind of did get invested, I guess, in him, which probably doesn't sound very nice, Right. but I didn't get invested in him because of Peter left and then Eric 
replace Peter. And then it's just kind of for a little while, I felt like it was just like revolving all the time. So mm-hmm. I actually did not know who Mark St. John was when I was little. Like, is he even on that shirt I got? No, on, on that. No, is he on the shirt? No, the shirt that I bought for the the Kiss concert. Yeah, he back. is on that one. But I, he, found I didn't shirt. know who he was when I was little because I there was like no footage of him. I thought that yeah. Mark was actually Bruce in the Heaven's on Fire <laughs> video because well, I was little. I thought, oh, he has dark long hair. That's, that's it's the Bruce. same guy. Yeah. Well, I bought a shirt for the one concert one too, and it has every single member of Kiss that's been in Kiss on the shirt. Yeah, and Mark's yeah. on there. And Mark's on there. Every yeah, every every cool. single member's cool. on there. Yeah, that's real cool. Well, um, Sandy, it was good to talk to you again. We're going to get into this album. And I, like I said, I will have you back in a video in the future. And uh, it was good talking to you, good seeing you. And I hope that you don't work yourself too hard. And if you're working at least uh, when you get off work, listen to some Kiss or listen to whatever it is that you like to listen to. That's what I do. I usually listen to Kiss on the way to work and on the way home. <laughs> de-stressing, yes. Yes, de-stressing. It was good seeing you. It's good seeing you I'm too. Just- so it was good seeing uh, it was good seeing Mama Sandy again. So we're going to get into Kiss Animalize here, and we're going to try to see what we can do to fix it. Me and my producer and my executive producer um, talk a little bit about it. Kiss Animalize was released on September thirteenth, nineteen eighty four, the twelfth studio album. Uh, placed at uh, this this placed at my number three from the bottom list. Mm. So this was my third, almost my third least favorite. Uh, Kiss album, and it was mostly uh, affected by the lackluster songs contributed by Gene. And yeah, Rob, show your stuff off there. I do have Animalize. I can say that I do have it. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Uh... While you're looking for that, I've got the original 1984 pressing, and then behind me is the 2014. I'm backwards here. 2014 reissue. Yeah, I've got the original. I've got the original pressing and it's got, you know, got them on it, black and white, you know, boring, boring Mercury release. I always give Mercury a lot of crap because their (laughs) releases were just so boring. Um, Just, uh, but um, yeah, so I do actually have this album and I had this album when it came out. And uh, I remember loving this album when I was a kid. It's just, I think it, as I got older, it kind of, I kind of started seeing that it wasn't the best effort um, by all members of the band, um, namely one person. Um, <laughs> this, But it peaked 19 in the States. It, it, uh, it was uh, certified gold in, um, 19, in late 84, and it was certified platinum in 90. Uh, it's gone on to be Platinum Plus. It was produced by Paul Stanley, associate producer Gene Simmons. Drums was produced by Michael James Jackson. It was recorded at Right Track Studios in New York. And additional recording by Dave Whitman. It was mixed by Dave Whitman. And Mark recorded this on his Rockman gear and uh, that was invented by Tom Schultz of Boston. And his tracks had to be heavily cued and effects added to reduce the Boston sound. And uh, there was a lot of uh, extra performers on this album. Um, 
Uh, Thrills of the Nights had John Bovar on bass and back and vocals. Get All You Can Take had John Bovar on bass, back and vocals, and Mitch Westman, who was one of the co-writers, John Bovar, or Bouvier, was uh, uh, also a co-writer. Under the Gun had John Bouvier on bass and back and vocals. Heaven's on Fire. Paul Stanley played bass on Heaven's on Fire. Uh, I've Had Enough Into the Fire. Paul plays bass. Lonely is the Hunter. Bruce Killick plays the guitar solo. Murder in High Heels, Bruce is on the guitar, and Mitch Weissman is on the bass. And While the City Sleeps, Mitch Weissman is on rhythm guitar. Alan Schwartzberg performed additional drum fills, and Desmond Child sang back and, voc- ups, back and vocals. And also um, had some uh, had some co-writing credits. Uh, so what do we think of the name and the packaging of Animalize? Do y'all like the name Animalize? Do you feel it fe- fits the album? Do you like the whole jungle safari, life's a jungle thing that they um, do they that they were going for? And is it just me, but does it feel like that this is a sister album to Asylum? <clears throat> so what thoughts? Just just our general. We're sitting in the we're sitting in the in the executive lounge right now, just kind of talking this album out about the direction they want to go, and they've come and pitched Animalize to us and. Ah, uh, we want to put, you know, we want to, we're animals and we should live like animals and because life is, life is hard and you need animalize and we're going to have fur and we're going to, we're going to wear fur and we're going to put fur on the stage and, and uh, this is the tracks we've gotten. Does it, do we feel like it fits? And what do you guys think about the whole concept of animalize? Emily, what um, do you think? Okay. So when I was little, I, did not like this album's cover because I thought it was boring. I'm like, well, that's not a real Kiss album. This is boring. Like, hot. You can say what you want about Hot in the Shade, but it has the the sunglasses, which I thought was amusing as a child. This, when I was little, I thought was so boring, which is probably why I alienated myself from most of the album as a child. And I always thought, oh, well, the back picture is at least interesting. Yes. I almost think that the back picture should have been the cover picture and the cover should too. have been the back picture. I, from the executive chair, I would have called the album while the city sleeps hmm. or, you know, thrills in the night. You know, you got the fire in the background. You got them all standing, looking cool. And uh, I, I would have used this as the front album cover. Under the, under, under the gun. Under the gun. Under the gun. Any of the gun. other you know, get all yeah. you can take something, something like that. Some um, a try a track off the album. I know Kiss wasn't big about doing that. They but they did it with Creatures of the Night. They did it with Lick, Lick it, it up. up. They didn't do it with Asylum. They didn't do it with Dynasty. But they did it with Love Gun. They, they, you know, sometimes yeah, sometimes they would do. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they would do that. You know, they didn't do it with Rock and Roll Over. They didn't do it with Destroyer. Um, but yeah, they they didn't do it with Dress to Kill. But sometimes they would name the album after a track that was on the album, I think it would have been, a, a, I don't think I'd, I don't, I never got the animalized name. Um, I think it sounds cool, but it, I think it would have, I agree. I think that it could have been any other, not any other, you know, but get all you can take or heaven's on fire. You know, I don't know. Um, um, I think not, if they would have used the, what was on the animalized live and uncensored VHS and the t-shirt with the woman's fingers scratching through like whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. I thought th- 
that would have made an interesting album cover and still gone with the animal eyes motif but mm-hmm. you're right this is just kind of lazy it felt like paul stanley was like gene what kind of carpet should i put in my house which one Our, of these Gene's took not available. he's on set we can't take a group photo <laughs> you know what i bet that's it yeah yeah, because even the back photos kind of they're photoshopped in. They're not they're not all taken and that's a composite photo. Um yeah. I actually saw a picture today, it was online somewhere, a picture of Mark standing on the grate by himself. So that just mm-hmm. kind of to show goes to show that they they kind of knew where they were gonna place people in the picture and they took separate com- pictures, separate pictures and then composited them all together and made a made a group photo out of it. I think honestly, I think we could have got away with the uh the cut the back of the album being the cover and if they wanted to go with the furs and if they were go- they had a direction they wanted to go with that and you could have stuck them on the back. I mean, they've stuck worse things on the back of the album. They put Paul Stanley, not Paul Stanley's butt, but somebody's butt Gene. on the back of the the creature's re-release. Um and took the and you know, put the picture on the front with Bruce on it. Um you know what I mean? You can't say, well, you know, well, Bruce didn't even play on the album. Well, Ace didn't play on the album either. So <laughs> you can't get into that ar- you can't get into that argument um when it comes to when it comes to that re-release. Um, but yeah, so I think that I think that we could have if we had been in charge, we would have maybe put the front the front photo on the front, maybe do something different with the back, either the claws or the furs and then we would have named it something different we would have named it while the city sleeps murder in high heels uh under the gun under the gun just kind of jumps out uh, jumps out to me i think that's real cool um so uh there are not a lot of demos to choose from for alternate tracks so we don't have a lot of tracks to chew to cut because the album's already nine tracks with five from paul four from gene so we can't cut tracks, so the discussion will be on what they could have done to improve the songs, if anything, and to debate what the track placement will be um, in a track order, because I do think that that's one place where we can improve the overall album flow and feel. And, you know, sometimes a song, a good song, that is maybe not the best song, is made to look worse than it really is if it's nudged right up next to a really good song. Mm-hmm. So you can't take a mediocre song and have it following up to a song that has just kicked you in the teeth or had you, you know, shake up dancing, shaking your booty, doing your air guitar, doing your air drums. And then this song comes on and it drops down about three notches. And it's not a bad song if you isolate it and listen to it alone. But if you make a mistake in putting it on the album in the wrong spot, it it's really going to make that song look worse. So I think we can fix that. Um, so um, I want to talk about what you guys think without getting into much detail about the album. If you have any thoughts on uh, what do you think about the overall sound of the album, the mix, the EQ, do you like the way it sounds? Could could they overall engineer something different? Um, Emily, you want to start with you or start with Rob? Um, Rob can go first. <laughs> okay. And Emily, if you don't have input, you know, if you think of something, you can say, and if you don't have an input on it, you can be like, 
there's many meetings I sit in at work and I'm, I'm second in command and somebody asks me about my input and I'll be like, I don't have any. So if you don't have any, 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 any input, you know, it's okay. So Rob, what do you, sometimes I can bounce off something if someone brings up a good point. Okay. That sounds good. I think overall, the sound for 1984, this is right in line with the the Bon Jovi's of the day, that it's that it's not as glitzy and polished as they would be in a year with Asylum. It still has some grittiness, and I think mm-hmm. that carryover from Creatures to Lick It Up, but there's a sheen. Again, it's probably because of Mark's tone on the album. The, the drums aren't as thick and fat as they once were but the guitars are starting to get to that brighter almost eddie van halen-esque type of a sound they've we've lost kind of that vinnie vincent you know dark and i wouldn't say grungy but more crunchy is the probably Mm -hmm. the better word so there's a there's a brightness to the album nowhere near the heights of what crazy nights is gonna get but this is kind of that transition of where kiss is going to pivot and start becoming more of a a pop band so when people go how did kiss wind up in crazy nights i think this is the album where they start moving into where this is the first step yeah this is that first step where gene's like hey this is what other bands are doing we need to follow Uh follow that trend while he's on the Uh movie set or whatever so i think the overall i don't it's hard when you live with an album for so long to go, oh, what could they change sonically? Because if you listen to other acts in 84, everybody's sound is kind of the right way. But I think there's a little bit of a sidestep from where mm-hmm. Kiss came with Creatures and we're like, all right, we're going to be heavy. We're going to be a metal band. And they carry that into Lick It Up. And now all of a sudden they're like, well, we're going to do a little bit of a, a pop flavor again. Mm-hmm. So it's totally. like for every two steps they take in progression. They seem to somehow take one step backwards. So I, I guess all I'll say on, on, on that end. Okay. All right, Emily, you um, got any? Yeah, it just um, kind of piggybacking off of what you said. If this is the first step of kiss, like being real followers rather than leaders, you listen to this album and there's just something kind of missing that doesn't make it as kiss as the other albums. And it's just kind of weird because I, I kept listening to this album and I'm like, oh, where's that? Mm, where is that? This is my band. It's just kind of like, well, this is an album by them, but it doesn't mean that mm. it has their signature all over it. So mm-hmm. it was kind of sad because <laughs> I honestly did not listen to this album fully until I was an adult because as a child, I would only I only knew um, Heaven's on Fire. That's it. But I'm. I, I just think that it's kind of weird because I think had I listened to it as a child, I think I would have been very bored. I don't think I would have thought this is legitimately kissed. I think I would have said, can we fast forward this or can we change the CDs <laughs> or something like that? So, mm-hmm. uh, My thoughts on this is uh, I, it's kind of before I get into what I wrote, um, I kind of will piggyback off something Rob said too, because Asylum to me is if you, I mean, uh, look, um, not, let me get it. Not let, <laughs> okay. Let me refocus. Animalize is like a bridge and it's a bridge to me between lick it up 
an asylum. It is that first step that they did that. What, like Rob said, they did what they did with creatures, that big, huge return to that heavy metal rock. They refined it a little bit and polished it and cleaned it up a little bit, would lick it up because they needed to ride that momentum and move and step a little bit more towards pop. Because that's kind of the direction that things was going. I mean, even in 1984, Eddie Van Halen was experimenting with uh, synthesizers. There was a shift in, there's a quick shift between 80, 82, and 84, and working our way towards 87. Um, there was a big shift in, in the way that bands sound. You listen to bands like Wasp's first album, and you listen to their second album, just between one album to the second album, with Wasp's first and second album, even for a band like Wasp, there was a shift. You listen to between like Motley Crue, between Too Fast for Love and Shout at the Devil and Theater of Pain. There's big shifts there for the for those bands. And so Kiss, with this album, they were in the middle. They were taking that first step to make that big shift towards what would be the next step would be Asylum, and then the next logical step would be an album like Crazy Nights or something like that. Mm. Um, because that was, if you go, and what I do is when I listen, when we're doing this, I want to compare what was Kiss doing compared to what everybody else was doing. So I find albums that was released either maybe six to nine, six, nine months to a year before this in 83 or so, because this was released in 84, in late 84, um, and, and then maybe listen to some albums maybe that was released just a little bit after. And this album kind of really does fall in line with a lot of the stuff that was going on in 84. And I think they were really trying to, they were taking that shift to step across country too and not be a band from the dirty streets of New York to and being a New York band to being a L.A. sleazeball band and an L.A. poppy band. Um, you even see that in some of the videos that, you know, I think the video for um, for Heaven's on Fire. It's kind of like a prequel to what you'd see with uh, Kiss Exposed. I think I mentioned that later on. So this was kind of like a big transition for them, but they were still trying to hold on to some of the old sound because even Michael James Jackson, who produced Creatures, they brought him back to produce the drums for for this album and mm -hmm. he produced the drums for uh lick it up so you know he he they they were keeping even though paul stanley was pr producing this and gene simmons was calling in his his opinion on uh on the, the the phone um they were still trying to use elements that they had learned in the past that's what they that's what paul and gene would say that they did was they learned from other people and then they tried to emulate that and kind of do things on their own. Um, my overall thoughts of the sounds is I like the sound of the album. The vocals sound great in the mix. The guitars are, are heavy when they need to be, and they're pulled back when they need to be, and the tone is good. Uh, I think the bottom end is a little flat, and it's not very deep. It could have had more bottom to it. The drums seem to be a lot more neutered um, coming from Lick It Up and Creatures. The progression seems to not be a good one. Even though Michael James Jackson was brought in to produce the drum tracks, I'm sure he was under the direction of Paul. And they're not as good as Licking Up. And they're nowhere near as good as Creatures. However, I don't think I would that Creatures drums would have fit on this album. If I was producing this album and somebody said, let's do the same drums we had on Creatures, I'd be like, nope, it ain't going to work. It's not the same kind of music. It's not going to work. 
Um, there is no song on this album like Saint and Center. There's no song on this album like War Machine. There's no song on this album like I Love It Loud. Um, those are not poppy songs. Those are rock songs. Those are heavy yeah. metal songs. These aren't heavy metal songs. These are rock songs. These are pop rock songs. These are LA, these are LA emulated songs on this album. So um, so we know what our homework is. We got nine tracks. They've given them to us. That's all they've got. They don't have any more. We got a we got a we got a, a brand new guitarist. We've got a drummer that's seasoned, and he's he, he's uh, he we, he's going to do anything that we can tell him to do. We've got a we've got a lead singer and rhythm guitarist that is uh, uh, feeling under the pressure to be the control freak because he has to put an album out, and his partner in crime is nowhere to be found because he's off making runaway and producing bands like black and blue and keel um and when and wendy o williams and so um he's rubbing elbows with tommy already so it's the beginning of the end um (laughs) uh so um so we're going to start off with uh i'm going to give leave us a little bit of break because on the podcast i'm gonna put in a little bit of music i can't put it in on youtube because I can't, I'm getting to where I can't guess with YouTube. It used to be you could put in at least eight seconds of music. Yeah. Now they're getting to where they try to, they try to cram, steal royalties on a hour and a half long video for six, six seconds of a song. And so I'm sorry, um, Universal and Kiss, I'm not going to make you more money than you already got. So the, if you want to hear the music, jump over and you'll hear some of the music over on my Podomatic. The link's down in the description and you can hear some music added in. Um, when we talk about these songs. So we're going to open up. This is the first one they've given us, and we're going to talk about, we can talk earlier, we can talk later about where we feel like these need to be. So we're going to start with I've Had Enough Into the Fire. Paul and Desmond Child wrote this. Paul plays the bass and Gene was filming Runaway. And I love the line. Paul is such, I don't know who wrote this word, this line, because Desmond Child's writing with him and Desmond Child's a master songwriter too. He, 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 if he don't have a master class, he should have one. Um, but the opening line to uh, songs gets me, you know, like sometimes like, uh, I still love you. I know Vinny wrote it. You tell me that you're leaving and I'm trying to understand that opening lines of songs. So this and 
this one gets me. This one kills me. How many times? How many times will they lie with the truth in their eyes? I mean, come on, come on. Treat you like dirt, wasting the days of our lives. I mean, it. I've had enough into the fire. If they would have sat this down, I've heard the demo of this, and if they would have sat this down on a cassette tape and played this for me, I'd be like, "That's going on the album." And that's how we're going to start the album with that song right there. We're going to start the album with that song right there because that song right there is what you guys need to be about on this album. Um, and that's where that's the vein you need you need to be in on this album. Uh, and so um, I think it's an awesome way, uh, awesome way to start the album. They come out swinging. And as far as the song goes, I think it's great. The production on this for it to be Paul. And the little bit of, you know, he got help. You know, he got help from the engineers. Uh, he, he had to get help from the engineers and the mixer because the mixer even did some re-recording. So Paul had help. He didn't do it all himself. He had help. Um, so, but I think, man, I've had enough into the fire is just, it just comes out and just punches you right in the mouth. So go around. Emily, we'll start with you. What do you think? I've always thought this was, um, ever since I started listening to this album fully, like a couple years ago or something, like I always thought this is a classic Paul vocal. This is like his vocals and just what he's talking about. This, it, I don't, I couldn't picture anyone else singing this in the band because that's Paul. Paul is just, it, it's, I think it should have been a bigger song than it actually was. Hmm. That's that. Yeah. Could, it could have been a single. I mean, there, there are singles, yeah. there are work, there are single worthy songs on here. So, um, all right. So what about, what about you, uh, executive producer? I would have continued this longer in the tour. Um, maybe yes. it, it didn't survive much past the first leg. Uh, if I dig my book out, I could tell you how many times this was played live. I want to say it's four. Mm-hmm. I think it only was played by live four times and i don't think mark st john ever played this live i think mm. it was always bruce kulik um because mm-hmm. i know it's not on the poughkeepsie uh show coming out right um somebody could probably correct me but i'll i'll look here in just a second but yeah i don't think mark ever played this and i i'm with you the opening lyrics of this song even even the second verse um is is brilliant i mean uh, how many times have you given up more than you got counting the days when you know, but they will not. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. this is a Paul is just firing on all cylinders on the stuff that he's delivering yep. uh, from this album. It's, it's been one of my favorite tracks from Paul for a very long time. And uh, yeah, I, there's not much I would change about it at all. All right. All right. So um, we're good. Keeping that right there at the front. So the very next track, track number two, the hit Heaven's on Fire.
written by Paul and Desmond Child. Paul plays all guitars on this track. Everything. The bass, the solo, the rhythm. He plays everything on this track. The only other KISS member in, on this track is Eric. And the funny thing, the song snippet about this, the story snippet about this, is when Bon Jovi heard this song, they looked, they saw who wrote this song. When John Bon Jovi heard this song, they saw who co-wrote this song with Paul. They saw it was Desmond Child, and they went after him to write the um, write for the album Slippery with Wet, Slippery When Wet, and the rest is history. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I don't uh, find much wrong with this song as it's written. Uh, it was the hit they needed. Uh, I don't think this album would have. I don't know if this album would have. It might have went gold just because "Lick It Up" was so stinking huge. Uh, and you know, a lot of times when a band has a really big album, fans have a tendency to buy the second album uh, with the next album. Uh, just because riding on the the the, sec, the the wave of success of the out the previous album, um, this song has not aged. I, you go yeah. into a club, you go into anywhere where lot where music is being played, rock music is being played on a stereo, you know, in a setting or whatever. This song will come on. I know cover bands that's in my area that have this song in their set to this day. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're not necessarily 80s covers band. They're just rock covers bands. And they have this song in their set to this day. So it's a classic um, It's a classic rock song. And it's got such an awesome video. Um, the video reminds me of what... Here's where I put it. The video reminds me of what... With all the girls and the, the girls on the beds and stuff and everything. It reminds me of what was coming with Kiss Exposed. It's like they were already laying the groundwork uh, for that. But Heaven's on Fire is good. I think it's great. I think it's one of the better songs on the album. If not, it might be my favorite song on the album. There's another song I like on here a whole lot. Me-wise, and I want to see if you guys agree with me on this as we go around and you talk about it, I think it's a little early for Heaven's on Fire. I don't know if I would put Heaven's on Fire... Yeah, it's a great one-two punch. Mm-hmm. I, it's a great one-two punch, but I think it's a little early for it for me. Uh, I think this is one that with this album, you can't. You just came off of a great song, and you have another great song that is going to hold its own. But you got some, you got some slippers that's going to be coming later on, and you need some stronger material further back, a little bit further back in the album to kind of help keep keep this album consistent where you don't have this you don't have peaks and valleys or you don't have this where it just continuously slips downhill so um but tell me guys what you think about the songs rob if you want to go first this time um tell me what you think about it and do you agree with me that it should not be in the number two spot um i real quick want to back up to i've had enough under the fire september mm-hmm. 30th in 1984 was i've had enough under the fire's first live performance it's also the debut of uh, Bruce Kulick uh, playing. So there you go. Um, Heaven's on Fire, uh, my hot take, moves to track three. And track Uh three comes up to track two because you need a Gene Simmons song. We'll save that discussion for a second. Um, This is an instant kiss classic. The first time 
you hear it especially like the woos that Paul's doing in the beginning was just him vocally warming up warming up and the producer was like what 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 what, what did you just do he's like i was just warming up do it again producer hits record that's mm-hmm. that was just him it's him the same it's the same thing for the jam that eric does at the beginning of uh uh king of the mountain yeah he's just in the studio warming up and they hit record i mean it's, yeah. that's that's when that's when lightning strikes and hits the bottle and and you got to catch that on tape but yeah, there's, I mean, you just put Heavens on Fire in a nutshell. Like this, this song has stood the test of time. And, you know, this, this song even stands the test of time in the farewell tour, hearing Peter Chris and Ace Freely playing this song and you can close your eyes and go, yep, it, mm-hmm. it still sounds like a kiss song. And some people go, well, only the four originals count. Well, the four originals play the song and you go, yeah, it it works. It works no matter who's in the band is playing it. That's the ultimate test, I mm-hmm. think, of, of any classic Kiss song by the band. So, yeah, I think it's the album placement, I think, is wrong, but it's a bona fide hit. There's there's a reason why this album goes platinum off the back of one single song only. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What about you, Ian? Okay, this song has always been a part of my life because I grew up with the Smashes and Thrashes um, compilation, and I didn't know about, when I was little, about Eras of Kiss. I didn't know. I would just listen to that CD, and to me, I thought it was Peter, Paul, Gene, and Ace for the longest time, and to um, find out later, like, oh, wait, that was that that was actually a different lineup like that kind of was like wow but it, the song's good and it kind of was like that segue of well it really doesn't matter who's playing this song because it's just a good song and i think that um it's the song is just so important to me in, in my personal life and it's kind of odd that it is the second song because you would think that the a bigger song they would make you wait to hear it like oh it's coming it's coming so yeah i don't think that it's it's kind of almost awkward that it's second on the list track list. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that takes us. So uh, I agree with you, um, Rob. Uh, I would just go ahead and say that I'm just kind of look. I just, whenever you said that, I'm like, that sounds very familiar. And I looked at my track listing, um, my track, my imagined rearrangement, and that's exactly what I did. I moved Heavens on Fire to number three. Because I toyed on my original idea. I toyed of doing what they was really big about doing back in the 80s, if you think about. Because 80s was bringing along the cassette era. And what they did was they would start the album off with a banger. And then they would, the cassette off with a banger. And then you would flip the cassette and you'd get another banger. And that, a lot of times, that first track on the second side was the hit or the lead single or something like that. It was very, if you go back and look at your cassettes, you'll be like, Mm -hmm. oh, I see it now. And so, but I thought, I toyed with putting it there, but I was like, you know what? That's a little too long to wait for it. Let's just, I thought you, I thought like you did. Let's do it. We've got a Paul to start. Let's, Let's stick a strong Gene song in the second spot and maybe delay that one track. So that's exactly what I did. And the one, the track that I chose to go into the number two spot is our next track. We're going to talk about "Burn, Bitch, Burn." 
So Gene recycled parts of this. This is written by Gene. He re- recycled parts of this from a song he called so, called So Many Girls, So Little Time. But it ended up being a demo he gave to the band Kill, which he was producing. Eric loved the singing this song or playing this song live, but it didn't last long. This originally was called uh, Burn Witch Burn. Uh, Gene in his Spinal Tap element with the li- lyrics like Put My Log in Your Fireplace. Uh, this album is riddled with in- innuendos. Um, which was the eighties. I mean, it was the eighties. Yeah. Um, the tones and the crunch of the, this, this, this guitar, this song is amazing. That guitar at the beginning, that is just amazing. And the way Eric comes in with that offbeat fill and he kind of comes in off time and well, it's out of the frying pan into the fire. You get that good gene lyric. A little bit of 80s demon, a little bit. You know, Gene mm-hmm. was a little bit out of his element, not having the makeup on and not really having the demon anymore. But you get that, you find that little bit of that 80s demon in songs like uh, Burn, Bitch, Burn. Um, the drums sound great in the mix. It fits. Gene gets a little skimpy in the lyrics sometimes because sometimes work, work, music's playing and Gene's just going, my, my, yeah. And then there's just like music just playing. and then. Well, listen to this, babe. <laughs> it's like it's like Gene could have spent a little bit more time with the notebook, and he could have flushed out a little bit more lyrics. I feel like, um, and I love when Paul comes in and throws in his "Woo, yeah!" When Paul throws that's, in his, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great, and that's great. And if you listen, you hear Paul singing along with him. With so many girls, so little tight. You hear Paul. I'm right there singing with him. Um, but the the gang vocals in the chorus is great. Um, 
uh, John Bovar Bovier, he sings background vocals all over this thing, and he has that. I can pick him out because he has a he he don't have Paul's voice, he don't have Gene's voice. His voice is kind of somewhere there in between. And I don't know if you've ever seen the guy, but he's like a black guy that had like a blonde mohawk at the time. Um, he was yeah. in the Plasmatics. He's in Wendy Williams' band, the Plasmatics. Um, but uh, the gang vocals great. I wish it was more. Um, I wish it was more than uh, "Burn, Bitch, Burn" over and over because that's really all they say is. And Gene will throw in little, "Well, the hills are stacked now, and there's nothing you can do." He'll throw in stuff like that. But you know, um, and the pre it. Uh, to me, I think this has a prequel foreshadowing to any way you slice it, because he actually says, and any way you slice it, and then on Asylum, we get Burn Bitch Burn's brother, you're hot under the collar, ain't your mother's little daughter anymore. We get we get basically <laughs> Burn Bitch Burn Part 2 called Any Way You Slice It, which is great, because I love that song too, but we'll get to that Um We'll get to that when we. So I think this is the perfect number two song. To me, this gives us the one-two punch, and at least gives us the false appearance that Gene means business on this album. Uh, and I think that, like I said, stack, stacking the tracks a little different, we can make it seem like Gene was less, maybe more involved than he was. But you can see it in this song. Even though this song is good, it's great. I love it. You can see Gene's little bit of loss of focus in this song. Because if he had been fo more focused, psh, it was already a good song. I mean, what if? That's one of the what ifs, you know, that we don't know. So, Emily, I'll let you go first. I'm going back and forth between you. you what do you think oh, about this song? Okay. I, I think this is actually Gene's best song on the album. Um, mm -hmm. And the other ones maybe. Maybe if they had a little bit more care, they could have been like that. Well, any of these songs by Gene, if they had just a little bit more care, could have been great. This is a good song to begin with, but it's just like you said, if Gene really sat down and he went over the lyrics again and just, you know, polished that up, it could have been it could have been a lead single again. All these songs that were just not promoted well at all. Um, I, I think that Gene was just so distracted. I think that's the number one problem with this album is that Gene wasn't there. He was making movies. He was just, he was hanging out with Tommy Thayer. <laughs> like, dude, get being, away from, get away from. <laughs> uh, and it's just get away from Tommy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think this is Gene's strongest song on the album. And it is, um, it, I think it's really awesome that it is early on the album because it's like oh yeah gene but then as the album goes on you you find out oh is that was that his only good song <laughs> so right exactly i think producer. so i think something that emily said earlier it there's something missing from the album there's not that punch gene didn't play a single lick of bass on this album i think maybe he has one maybe mm -hmm. that he played right but you could tell that he probably came in played it one day and in out and done um mm -hmm. you know his his presence is sorely missing and felt uh not being here on this album which i think kind of hurts uh some of this i've always dug this track 
And when I was going through this book, uh, September 30th, the date that I read was the start of the tour. And there's a lot of Animal Eyes uh, songs in this tour. Burn, Bitch, Burn, and Get All You Can Take were also in the set list, and they were immediately dropped. So Burn, Bitch, Burn gets played one time, and and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, Get All You Can Take was there. And I should have said this earlier. I've had enough into the fire was the opening track uh, for the, the start of the tour, and it would eventually move a little bit and then fall off. But yeah, I Burn, Bitch, Burn, I've like I said, I've, I dug the song. Um, it's sad that it's his best offering from the album, but, uh, yeah, I think it's all I have for that one. Okay. All right. So, um, so, so right now we're, we're going to say we have, I've had enough and then burn bitch burn and then heaven's on fire. So let's the next song up for consideration, uh, the fourth track, get all you can take. This is a Paul and uh, Mitch Weissman uh, right. Paul um, has said this is one of his favorite songs on the album due to the Zeppelin kind of groove and um, had the F word in the chorus, which I, being a 15-year-old kid, thought was awesome. Um, we used to, me and my friends used to, whenever that song came on and it hit that part and that gang vocal in the back saying, what we do we we sang that, man. We meant it. We meant it because it was just cool. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, the Kiss was trying to be there, trying to, like, like I said, that's one of those things they're trying to be L.A., man. You know, Paul cussed during this time in the shows. It was just really weird to see Paul <laughs> dropping the F-bombs and stuff during during shows um, when you go back and look at it now. Um, John Bovar, Bovier plays bass and does backing vocals. Mitch Weissman plays rhythm guitar. Another one of Paul's Zeppelin type songs. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's like the Radar for Love, you know. That's going to follow on the um, yeah, or it's like Radar for Love that's going to follow on Asylum, and and just the riff it has. It almost has the Zeppelin riff, kind of like All Hell's Breaking Loose from from Lick It Up. So it's kind of like. You, know, you got three albums here with three different Zeppelin type songs as far as rhythm guitar goes and groove goes and 
three different feels on three different albums. It's kind of like transition uh, type um, songs. Um, but um, the only thing about this, if I was going to be the producer on this album, is Paul keeps climbing higher and higher and higher and higher in in up the rafters. He He's just going. And I'd been grabbing him by his ankles and being like, come back down here. You know, you because he keeps getting higher and higher. Didn't have Gene there to pull him back down. Didn't have anybody that wasn't on his payroll to pull him back down. So he just keeps getting higher and higher and higher and and, and getting up to that ledge. Uh, but still, but I had saying all that, I like this song. I like Get All You Can Take. I like that feel. I like when Paul does, and I like some of those, those, those little falsetto screams he does. Like, ah, get down and get to it. I mean, I love the chorus of this, and I, no, that's Radar for Love. See, that's how yeah. similar they are. That's <laughs> Radar for Love. Uh, but yeah, they're. I, I'm going to leave that in there just to show you how similar these two songs are. Um, but get all take, get all you can take. I think is great. I think it's perfectly placed too. I would leave it right at number four. I think it it coming off of uh, uh, Heaven's on Fire. Um, even though it's two Paul songs in a row, we got more Paul songs than we do Gene songs. So we're going to have to have at least two in a row somewhere. I'd rather have two Paul songs in a row on this album. Than two Gene songs on a row in this album, so so I think it's a good idea to stick, get all you can take, uh, right behind, um, right behind Heaven's on Fire, and leave it right there in the number four spot. So uh, Rob, you go first this time. I like the song, and I like Paul in the rafters. Mm-hmm. I think Paul from, and this may be blasphemy. People probably say boo to this but i don't think paul was as strong of a singer in the 70s as what he became in the 80s if you listen to uh des moines uh off the soundboard you could tell like when paul's trying to he's almost screaming some of his vocals rather than singing his vocals i think he found a way to like hey i've got a good voice i need to kind of tailor this i would have loved to have heard this version of Paul Stanley time travel back to 1977 and sing, I stole your love and sing, you know, love gun and all those things. Not that he does a very good job, but this again, leading like, how did we get to crazy nights? This is that step in the direction of Paul going, Oh, check out what I can do with my voice. I can sound like Jeff Tate and Queens, Who they took out on, tour which i mean right. he didn't hear that at the at the time or whatever but paul's really starting to come into his own as a lead singer of the of the band and doing all the vocal gymnastics that he was known for and this is really the big start of his 80s vocal gymnastics mm-hmm. is starting yeah. on this album yeah and and you know where paul made the transition i think from being a good singer to a great singer he made the transition, if you think about it, I hope you'll agree with me. This is what I think. This is my hot take on it. Paul made the progression from a good singer to a great singer, an excellent singer, during in between his solo album in, in 77 and mm-hmm. Dynasty. and Dynasty, Because the Paul that you get on the solo album is not the Paul from 
Alive 2. And the call that you get on Dynasty is very similar to what you get on his 77 solo album, but it's up a notch. And then you have that, Paul, on Unmasked. You have those amazing falsettos on The Elder. And and so and you have the amazing, then you have the amazing vocals on Creatures where he's screaming, but he's singing at the same time. When he's singing, we're Creatures of the Night. Even when he did it live, he would, he would sing we're creatures of the night more than he sang it on the album. Yeah. Um, on the album, he'd just go, we're creatures of the night. But on when he sang it live, he'd be like, we're creatures of the night. He would sing it. So I think that he began making that process, that, that, that transition. But yeah, this is, this album is the beginning of I'm climbing up the, I'm starting to climb up the monkey bars to the top of the rafters that I can get to. And I'm going to swing back and forward and I'm going to try to grab a higher rafter and swing. And it reaches its pinnacle by the time he gets to, uh, by the time he gets to crazy nights. I mean, it's, it's, it's at its pinnacle, um, there. So Emily, what do you think about, um, get all you can take? I always liked this song, but for some reason it's never been like a favorite, but I don't dislike it. It's kind of like a, well, if it comes up on shuffle, I'll listen to it. But what I, personally start off with it on shuffle like because i gotta hear it no i'm not sure why that is but it's interesting you bring up paul and his vocal gymnastics and his maturity and his voice because one of my favorite um bands my second favorite band ever is actually the beach boys and it's so true about when you sing falsetto about that maturity in your voice and how you really can train your voice to sing in that register and make it sound like you're not screaming Mm-hmm. Uh, and have it be really mature because um, I see that progression with um, Brian Wilson. Um, oh, in yeah. The Beach Boys. But sadly, like Brian Wilson, Paul ha- didn't keep his voice in check. And because of that vocal gymnastics up and down, up and down, it, ca- it caused him to eventually lose his ability to sing in falsetto. And it's kind of sad, but I wish there would have been someone to keep him in check, like Brian, but, uh, Brian, what Brant said, because yeah. um, I think then it would have been a more cohesive song and not just, okay, Paul, okay, we get it. <laughs> um, so I think that's my take. Maybe that's why it's never been a favorite of mine. Maybe you just solved the mystery of why it's never mm-hmm. been, well, well, I like it, but it's not my favorite. Yeah. I don't dislike it. I think you just solved the mystery for me. You don't have Michael James Jackson while the album's being recorded to go, okay, Paul, let's let's bring it down. And especially Gene's not there to look at Paul and go, okay, let's 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 bring it a little bit. Right. But yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. I mean the the song is written in a key that it's gonna have it's gonna be in Paul's upper register anyway. I mean, it comes in with those higher chords, and so it's gonna be there. Um, but like I said, I just think that there's Paul, he just keeps reaching and reaching and reaching when it comes to the song and it would, it would start, it started a trend that he continued to do. All right. So we're going to try to, um, we're going to, let's go ahead and say, we're going to have five songs on the first side and we're going to cut the second side short. Um, cause we don't have enough tracks to fill up an album. So we're going to see about what we think about ending side five or side one with track five, lonely as the hunter.
So Gene um, and Paul, uh, this was written by Gene, and Paul called Bruce to play in the solo for this one since he didn't like anything that Mark was doing. The recording of the solo went so well for Bruce that Paul told him not to cut his hair. And I think this could be, the, it could have been, Paul could have already seen the writing on the wall with Mark um, because he was having a difficult time. Um, you know, he said it, Paul, the problem with Mark is that he couldn't play the same thing twice. And they had to punch in and out a lot to get a cohesive solo out of him. And even then, they couldn't do that sometimes. So he'd play, even Paul played part of the solo or he brought brought Bruce, Bruce in to play part of the solo or or had Bruce play the whole solo himself um, on different songs. Um, you can tell this is not, um, it, this is not Mark in hindsight on the solo. The solo sounds nothing like what we know as a typical Mark St. John solo. Um, this very, it sounds very Bruce. Uh, it doesn't sound uh, the same. It has Bruce's fingerprints all over it. The riff of this song reminds me of the riff of only you from off the elder. Mm, that yeah. It kind of has a little bit of that only you riff in it. Um and uh and and uh, or and also it also sounds like it could be a a riff you'd hear in an older KISS album. Uh like one from the 70s or from the early to mid 70s. It sounds like a riff you could have been done that. Uh this is a song that one of the first times that um when I went back and reviewed the Kiss albums, um, the first couple times with Rick and then with my son and then with Rick during the panel spoken and kind of talking the albums out, um, this is a song that it's never really fell into. I really like this song. Uh, I downright just didn't like it. I thought it was boring and things but i don't know something about this time around listening to this because when i do prep for these you know we do one of these a month and i'd usually listen to the album a good excuse me a couple weeks in advance and um and before i sit down and start writing out my thoughts and this song has kind of grown on me a little bit it's got all kinds of really cool sexual innuendos it's it fits like right in there, you know, is it as good as some of the other songs on this album? No, but, uh, it's not horrible. Uh, there's songs on other albums by Gene and by other members of the band that I like least like less than this. So, I mean, it's, I think it's worthy to stay on the album and we really, really don't have much choice. And I think it's a good way to kind of, you know, okay, we're done with side one. We got a Gene song on here. Uh, you know, sometimes the last track on the first side is not always the strongest track anyway. Uh, it's usually where it's usually filler central uh, on a, on an album. So, um, so yeah, I think this, having said all that, I think this is the perfect placement for this song. And I don't hate it as much as I used to. Um, I kind of like it. I listened to it and enjoyed it and, you know, I pulled up the lyrics and was listening to the lyrics and I was like, <laughs> that's funny what he's saying there. You know, so um, I kind of got a little bit of new respect for it. So, uh, Emily, we're going to come around to you on this one first. Okay. Um, I think oh, the song is so like... I think Gene's vocal delivery is kind of boring. Like maybe what he's saying is good, but he just sounds so bored. Like lonely, 
is the hotter. And it's like, come on, Try like, singing, put some Gene. passion into that voice. <laughs> like, put some passion into that voice. Like, maybe the lyrics, um, like Brant said, are good, but I think just the way he's singing it will bring mm -hmm. it down. That mm -hmm. I think that's the main issue with it. Yeah, he really didn't flesh out the melody very much. He really didn't. He came up with a bunch of sexual innuendos in his lyrics, and he's like, that'll be good enough. The riff is okay. I'll make a song out of this. <laughs> what do you What do you think, Rob? Now, I don't mean this bad. My favorite part of the song is the end of the song, <laughs> where it starts getting into the dun-dun-dun-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
So this is written by Paul, Eric Carr, and Desmond Child. The typical fast, frantic song that Kiss has started including in albums during this era. Eric said that he had nothing to do with the writing past the initial writing of the rhythm. He was banging around on the guitar and playing a rhythm on the guitar. Paul started telling him to play these different chords. Then Paul took the rhythm part. Eric was playing in the studio on a day off and ran with it. Um, Eric has a great backing vocal yelling fire during the bridge. uh, um, John Bovier plays bass and sings background vocals. Um, I love this song. I love the energy, the speed. It's not too fast, but it still keeps a groove. It's a fast-paced rock song that Eric Carr just freaking shines on. It's got that da 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 It's like, I love that. Um, I think that Under the Gun is like, it's the perfect song to start the second side. It's like you get through Lonely as the Hunter and you're like, oh man, this album's starting to stink. And then you get, and so it's like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. There may be some life left in this thing yet. So uh, and I think that was very calculated. I think that they needed, mm-hmm. they knew that they had to get you back with side two. Um, so I love Under the Gun. I think it's perfectly placed. Uh, I think it sounds great. I love, I freaking, freaking love Eric on this all the way around. I love the fire. I love that. That's so awesome. For years, I didn't know that was Eric. I thought it was Gene. Um, but ju- that just goes to show you how Eric can sing a Gene song because their voices mm-hmm. were so similar. And so, um, if they, they just gave him that one little nugget, they should have gave him one of Gene's songs that he didn't really care if he sang or whatever anyway. Um, so, uh, he still would have got the royalty and the songwriting credit. So they should just let Eric sing some songs, but under the ground, I think it's perfect. I think it's right where it needs to be. Um, what about you, Rob? Starting with you. I love this song. As much as I love, I've had enough into the fire. Um, I love Under the Gun, and the popularity of Under the Gun was a staple at KISS concerts. The only tour that it wasn't played on was Crazy Nights, so it made it through Animalize, Asylum, off for Crazy Nights, back for Hot in the Shade for about half of the tour. Hmm. And uh, it's just... This was one when I found Animalized Live Uncensored VHS. I was like, this song rips, mm-hmm. as Nico would on our show, Nico would say, this song slaps. It is slaps. It's it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um it my executive producer would say, I need more more attack on the kick drum mm-hmm. so I could hear the bass drum pedals attacking the bass drum. You would right. get that feel. It sound if you want that sound, go listen to the the live version of it. Mm-hmm. And Eric's bass drums are just thumping, which is why I'm so excited that the Poughkeepsie off the soundboard is coming out, and this song is gonna be is gonna be on there. So yeah, I I I yeah. dig the crap out of this song. Yeah, there's some tracks on that on that Poughkeepsie that's coming out are very exciting. All right, so what do you think about Under the Gun, Emily? Um, I think this song is really bombastic. I think this album was just poorly promoted. This should have been a way bigger song than it was. Or it, it, I, I wish that, because um, I, I think a lot of Kiss fans know this song as like a hidden gem. But this is something that nobody virtually knows. Like, 
outside yeah. of the band. Even though it was played live at concerts, nobody probably knew what it was, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of sad. I, I think that um, this could have been like the B-side to something. Put put this out as a single. Put this oh, on the radio. Yeah. It could have done mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if they pulled this out on the end of the road tour? Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I Eric Singer would have no problem playing it. Gene would fit in. I think Tommy Thayer would be lost. I I love Tommy. <laughs> I would love to see that. I I All love Dog be lost. I love Tommy Thayer in the band. I say whatever you will, but hearing Tommy attack, you know, tears are falling. Uh, take it off. And even unholy, it's it's a different style of playing. Uh-huh. And uh, Tommy had even told Bruce, like, "What's with all the tremolo and whammy bars?" That's just wasn't his style. So uh, he would really, uh-huh. I think, have to neuter. Right. So as much as people say Tommy's playing everything note for note, not everything mm-hmm. note for note. No, he's not. Yeah, yeah. be like, but we're anyway, play- that, that's a tangent. Be, be like, we got a surprise for you. We're gonna play under the gun. Featuring Mr. Bruce Kulick and Bruce comes oh out. My God. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. So under the gun, we leave it right where it's at. And then we uh, we move on and see if we want to keep the next track in place. Um, Thrills in the night. This Thrills of the Night is Paul and John uh, Bovier. John John became, I said this earlier, John became involved with Kiss during the Creatures Tour. He was fronted, when he fronted, uh, he was in the band fronted by Wendy Williams, the Plasmatics. They opened for Kiss on the Creatures Tour. Um, great song. Um, I think that Thrills of the Night is great. I think it should have done better when it was released as a single. I think it might have been, um, when you release, but here's the thing. When you release a song as your single, like Creatures in the Night, I mean, not Creatures in the Night, but uh, Heaven's on Fire, and then you turn around and you follow it up with a song like Thrills in the Night, it ain't, it, that's, that's what I was saying. You can't, you can't link up those two songs together. If you're going to, if you're going to release a song like, 
heaven's on fire, you need to release burn bitch burn or I've had enough or under the gun. You need to release a song like that. I love thrills in the night, but thrills in the night to me, I think they only released two singles off this album Mm -hmm. and they put burn bitch burn on the back of this one. Burn bitch burns on the B side. I can't remember what's on the B side of heaven's on fire. Um, but, uh, burn bitch burns on the B side of this one. Um, and I, I could tell you, this could maybe have been the third single off the album, but I think when they put out Heavens on Fire, they should have continued with another single, another bombastic single. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Guess what the B side of Heavens on Fire is? Some crappy Gene song. Lonely, Lonely. Is, is the Hunter. Lonely is the Hunter. So, see, that's God. what I'm saying. Do you know? I mean, do, uh, Emily, you probably are a little too young for. 45s when they would come out but i remember whenever a 45 would come out and you would get it and you would play it and you would flip it over to the b-side and the b-side was always some just piece of crap filler off of the and and you'd be like there they could have stuck another song on there that they considered filler they could have because i'm sure to them under gun under the gun would have been filler because they weren't going to release it as a single so it wasn't going to be a hit so why not stick, why not have uh, Heavens on Fire and on the backside have, have Under the Gun and then yeah. have, you know, or something like that. Do something You know, different. actually, I think Paul would have probably thought, no, Under the Gun is not going to be a filler. We're going to play that live. Uh, sleeping is the Hunter. Is <laughs> oh, I, said, I said sleeping. Lonely. Sleeping is mean... the Hunter. <laughs> yeah, sleeping, in the, sleeping as the Hunter. It's filler. Uh, but Thrills in the Night, I think it's great. I've always liked Thrills in the Night. Um, I I think this is one of those songs that the only thing I don't really like about Thrills in the Night, I love the visual concept of the lyrics of the, the verses. I'm just not a big fan of the chorus. That just whole Thrills in the Night, Far from the Light. It's See, I like that passion taking over oh yeah it's just i don't know i mean i like it more than i used to but it's just kind of i don't know kind of droned to me but i do like it better than i used to that i would this agree has actually probably needs to be a higher harmony in there somewhere yeah right yeah because even at the end where paul starts embellishing with the yes yes oh, oh when he starts doing stuff like that i'm like okay okay i know you're on the outro here but you know, I, I do like that. So, um, and I like when they when they come out of it and he kind of goes back and repeats the first verse and they're doing that burm, 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 burm thing that they're doing. I like that. Um, it, it has a lot of things that keeps it exciting. So, um, but yeah, so, and I think that I would move it though. And I'll talk about where I would move it in a minute. <laughs> I wouldn't keep it right behind under the gun. Because no. I think it's two song, two good songs that are too close together. So I would move this somewhere else further down and I would stick something up in this point. I'll go ahead and tell you what I'd do. Um, Throws in the Night, I would actually drop to number eight and I would move up to seven. I would move Murder and High Heels up here. Mm. Interesting. So that's just what I would do. But what do you guys think about Thrills on the Night? 
I don't know who went first last time. Just one of you start talking. Emily, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I grew up watching the Thrills in the Night video. And to me, I always felt as if they were trying to make it like a, a shout it out loud. Like everybody seeing the Thrills in the Night part. But it just never got to that level for some reason. Um, but to me, this is like signature Paul 80. Like I couldn't tell the difference with Heaven's on Fire. I really couldn't tell the difference with Tears Are Falling, but to me, I could always point out this song was made in the 80s. I'm not sure why, but in my brain as a child, just watching the video, I'm like, oh, this, is, this has to be from the 80s or something, because it, it just, Paul's voice, it, it's just perfectly placed in Paul's 80s voice range and his style. That's always what it's been to me. But I always felt like they were trying to make this the crowd sing-along song, but it just never got to that level. Mm -hmm. It's in his best part of Waking Up as Folgers in your cup register, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please keep that in there. Don't edit that out. That was hilarious. Um, <laughs> to me, this is the precursor I'm thinking when Brett Michaels was putting together Poison, he had an idea for a song that would become Fallen Angel. I'm not saying that actually happened, but the framework and the archetype of a of a girl that's walking the streets, that she's down on her luck and all that stuff. And then you listen to Poison's Fallen Angel, which a girl moving to the big city, you know, she's a fallen angel. Like you talk about, Emily, like the, the shout out loud singing, like when you're at a poison show and fallen angels being sung, everybody's singing that at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Not that Paul knew that song was coming two years prior, but it's kind of in that same footprint of we need this downtrodden person that we're trying to root for. And Paul didn't. I don't think he quite got it. I love the song. I love it live. And it's sad that the only few times they did it was leading up to the animalized live show in Detroit. And once they film it for that, there that gets completely dropped. Mm -hmm. But um, I, this is one, if I'm going through animalize, I'm going through, okay, had enough under the fire, heaven's on fire, you know, under the gun thrills of a night. And that's about where I go. I could listen to any of those songs at any different time. And I'm fully invested into the song. So I've always liked it. But I agree with, with you, Brain. I think album placement is it's in a wonky spot. I think it would have been I think it would have been received better if they would have committed to continue to keep playing it night after night. It might have grown. But also, I think it it gets lost in the shuffle. These last three songs mm -hmm. are just kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. How do you think a little sidebar discussion here? How do you think? this song sounded and came off live on the uh, Animalized Uncensored concert? How do you think I, it fell off? How do you I think like it, it better off? live than I do studio. I think and, it has a little more pep. Yeah. I think I mean, that's one they thing were... that it suffers from on the album, too, is it seems to be maybe one or two beats too slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe if it was just a little... Instead of thrills in the night, if it was maybe thrills in the night, far from the light, just a couple ticks faster. And I and think this that's tour, how they played it. Yeah, and this tour faster. is notably, it, one of its benchmarks is Gene wanted all the songs played at up-tempo faster because yeah. he thought that's going to show that we're more aggressive and everything. Yeah. And this song 
really benefits from getting sped up. Yeah, they freaking ripped through Detroit Rock City on that concert, man. They they were probably played, they probably cut 30 seconds off the song. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, so I think I think Thrills in the Night, I I yeah, I think it it has a song to me like, yeah, it kind of gets lost in the end. But Thrills in the Night seems to me as a song that it it was gonna benefit placed closer to the end of the album than closer to where it is now or even further up in the album. Further up in the album, I think it's going to slow the album down too much, and we already have a couple tracks there that kind of slow it down already. So I think just kind of breaking a couple good songs apart to where we can uh, sustain the goodness a little bit before we start sliding real fast here towards the end. Real quick, live, this was was song seven. it was Detroit, Cold Gin, Creatures, Fits Like a Glove, Heaven's on Fire, Thrills in the Night. Wow. So they put those two back to back. That's interesting. That's interesting. All right. So we um so we'll we'll talk about where we finally move everything when we're done. So that takes us to track number eight, next to the last track from Gene While the City Sleeps. Gene and Mitch Weissman. Gene originally offered this song to a band called Heavy Petten in 83, who um, toured with Kiss in England in 83, um, but they didn't take it apparently. Mitch Weissman on rhythm. Uh, I think this is a great song, and I think it makes me wonder um, how much better these songs could have been had Gene actually been there trying. I love the lyrics, living well is the best defense, so give them hell. I love the you know the what i don't even know all the lyrics to this song but it's uh what does he say i know you know rob where he says it goes into the pre-chorus take what you can get what does he say there burn, at the your, end? Bridges. burn your bridges, bridges take what you can get something something tells you paid your debt Da-da-da. living well is the best defense and then you get that little bit of demon so give them hell while the city sleeps i mean i think gene actually puts in on this song he's has a couple really good in it and everything so 
I actually think that it's not the strongest song, but at least Gene is acting like he cares. And he's showed up on this day ready to sing. So uh, While the City Sleeps, I think, was stronger than it shouldn't have been. Um, but I like I, I like um, it's next to last. But honestly, this is my thought. I like the way this song ends. You know how it kind of ends and it has that noise kind of at the end of it. It kind of that noise, the guitar and stuff, and then it just kind of fades out. Mm -hmm. It sounds like the album should be over. And then here comes Murder in High Heels. So me, I would, I would keep, well, can't, we can't get rid of it because we you know, like I said, we have to keep them, but I would move this song to, I would have moved while the city sleeps up and I would close the album. I mean, um, I would move uh, Murder in High Heels up and I'd close the album with while the city sleeps. Yeah. Cause the album's I, over and we're going to sleep. <laughs> if Gene hasn't put you to sleep already. Right. Um, no, I, I, this is my thought. I think this is his second best song behind burn bitch burn. Mm -hmm. While I like good chunks of lonely as the hunter. I feel like what Emily said, Gene's actually singing. Like, I don't know if this was like his first full day in the studio and he's, kind of actually part of my French given a damn mm -hmm. <laughs> dur during this song. So um, yeah. And I, I like how it closes. You, mm -hmm. you have, I've had enough into the fire and this kind of like, but would, would button the album, but that's not what they, what they chose right. to do. Right. It kind of ends the way war machine does, you know, with just yeah. that noise at the end. And it kind of gives me a throwback to creatures with the way War Machine ends, and then a song starts. I'm like, no, 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 no. This needs to close the album. Put this at the end of it, because you got all that destructive, fading off kind of sound. Let's close the album with this song. And it's a good it's a good closer. I think it's a, a strong effort, um, and I think it's a good closer. So what do you think, Em? Um, um, I think that Gene, it is a better song, but... I, I think I've always kind of found it just a little bit boring. I, I don't know why, but but the lyrics are good. But mm -hmm. I, I think that Gene, again, I wish, I, I think he put more pep in his step with this song than he did for Lonely as the Hunter. But it's like, Gene, we need your, your full cooperation. We need your full participation. And this song could have been a little bit better had he had that I, I don't know why I, I i did write down what if eric sang this song like the well this like mm. the more i kept mm. listening to it I, I kept saying well what if eric sang the song more than right. lonely is the hunter but that's I, I, I could hear that i could hear that yeah, i could hear that too yep honestly i think i think even you know well i, I i'd like to keep burn bitch burn with gene but any of yeah. the other gene songs i would have pitched to gene and paul won't you let eric take a shot at one of these pick one Pick one. Mm -hmm. He's going to let him take a shot at it because I think that he could do deliver anything that Gene delivered on any of these th other three songs that Gene had. So I think that they should have, you know, if Gene, you're not going to be here. If you decided to shoot a movie when you know we're going to be in the studio, if we can't get you in here to get some good to get some good performance out of you on bass and we can't get you in here to get some good performance out of you on vocals, then we're going to get some other people to play bass and we're going to let some other people sing your songs. And you Come know, to Gene's, and if, 
And if your stuff's not good enough, not up to par, then we're going to let somebody else take a swing at it. Yeah. And to Gene's credit, you know what Gene would have said? Okay. okay. If the best, yeah. if the best voice, like Gene was in the studio. I was just listening to uh, the audio book, uh, Kiss Unmasked or uh, Take It Off. Yeah. And uh, uh, Juan Bouvier is in the studio with Gene and he's playing to Heaven's on Fire and says, well, don't not Heaven's on Fire, but uh, one of the other tracks. And he tells Gene, like, well, don't you want to play? He says, no, your part was good. Keep it. So I think had Gene not been there, said, hey, we're going to have Eric sing or do something, Gene would have been like, all right, that's fine. His, Go ahead. Is his vocals better than mine? Yeah, they're a lot yeah. better. Okay, keep it. Keep it. Yeah. I'm still going to get the check, whether regardless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, keep it. Right. <laughs> I think yeah. um, Gene is a lot more cooperative in a studio than one might think. Like, we, we always give him, oh, he's got the ego. He's Gene Simmons. But I, when it comes to the actual product, He's all about what's best for what's best for the product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What yeah. is going to put more coins in my pocket? And if that means yeah. somebody else has to play my instrument or sing my song, but I'm going to get a dollar from it, go right ahead. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, sometimes I'm like, even the real sidetrack conversation here, which I love that we do. Gene didn't even play bass very much on his own solo album in the seventies. No. He chose to play mostly acoustic guitar. He let other people play the bass for him because I mean, you got to think about it. You know, he has the ability to play guitar. Let somebody else play bass. I'll tell them what to play. I'll write what they should play. They play it. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to strum on this acoustic guitar a little bit. Cause that's what I'm writing songs on. So, um, and you know, he, a lot of his songs were demoed. They're kind of like hot in the shade. They were demos that they beefed up and, and cleaned up and made better and put, just put more, started stacking more performers on. So, I mean, he had already had the rhythm parts written. So why not just let somebody play the bass to it? And I just focus on singing and doing mm -hmm. the, and doing the helping product, helping Sean Delaney produce it, you know? So, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of like what he did. Um, all right. So um, let's get to the last track. Number nine, murder in high heels. Oh, no. 
So again, this is Gene and Mitch Weissman. Um, Bruce added some riffs at the end of the song. Mitch Weissman played bass. Uh, and sometimes this riff sounds to me like a slowed down version of the riff of Radar for Love. That rut down it's murder in high heels. It 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 sounds if you I know it's not the exact same thing, but if you speed this up in your brain, it sounds a lot like um Radar for Love. Uh, not exactly, but um this song's not a bad song, and it just feels like Gene is just spouting out lyrics like yeah, yeah, oh yeah. There's a lot of music with no lyrics, and then the chorus that just drives me crazy. Crazy. She's murder in high heels. It sounds like that um Led Zeppelin, not Led Zeppelin, but uh Aerosmith. Uh you know the um whatever that is in that's a Aerosmith song. Sweet emotion. Sweet emotion. It sounds like that. Um, it could be better if he would have worked on it more. That's all we that we've said that about every single song except for Burn Bitch Burn. And even Burn Bitch Burn could have been better because it still has a lot of you go back and listen to that. It still has a lot of part where you're like, he could be singing there. He could be singing there. He's just he's gonna let a few bars go and he's gonna go, my my, yeah. And they're gonna play some more bars and we'll listen to this babe and we're gonna go into the pre-chorus. So he just it's like he was minimal effort this whole album. Um, and it really showed. I think, like I said, this is one of the things that um, I made me not really like this album as I got older. I saw the flaws. Um, so what do you guys think about Murder in High Heels that we may have not already said? <laughs> may have not already said. Opinions, thoughts? This is how you murder the end of the album. <laughs> That's why it's, I did not want it at the end. It's uh, It's such a boring track um i'm i love the little nuggets that bruce is in there and that makes me go because i like bruce kulik i'm like well it's not so bad but mm -hmm. you can only work with what you have to work with and the fact that bruce plays on a couple little things and paul says hey don't cut your hair because we're gonna need you bruce really doesn't get to show what he's capable of doing till you know, Asylum comes uh -huh. out. Uh -huh. So the fact that he's going to get the lead guitarist job off of two small little parts is, is right. amazing in and of itself. But as strong as this album opens, it just comes to a, a slow, slow crawl towards uh -huh. the end. And this is one I'll get to while the city sleeps. And I usually don't make it much farther past mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. so that's all i got to say about it sorry gene yeah yeah and family before you start even even the solo the full solo that that bruce has on here lonely as the hunter it's not really a very well it's not one of bruce's better solos and i love bruce as a guitarist and a, mm -hmm. as a writer and as a lead guitarist he is methodical he still plays stuff now years later exactly the way he played it back then and you listen to this song, that solo on that song on Lonely as the Hunter, you're like, yeah, okay, that's not Mark. That's not Paul. That sounds like Bruce, but that sounds like Bruce on a, okay, they brought him in. They, he recorded his, he recorded his, worked out his solo and recorded it in a day and was gone. You um, know what I think probably happened? Gene's not there. He's already come and done the vocal. 
Bruce, just come in, lay any old solo down so we can get this thing done and get it out of here because this is Gene's song. And if he cared enough about it, he'd be here. So the, I'm not trying to discredit what Bruce did because I mm -hmm. couldn't play it, but I don't think there was enough thought put into it to, we got to get this album done. We got to get it packaged. And right. let's, and the let's, song didn't have very that. strong bones anyway. So you no. can't really build on something that don't like Emily said, you can't really build on something that there's not a whole lot already there. Yeah. You can't go slapping a bunch of drywall on a house that don't have a good a found a foundation and a good structure already. It's just going to fall in or it ain't going to look right. So you just can't do it. So Emily, what do you think about this last song? Uh, well, this song is so bad that <laughs> I think to, in order for me to say something good about it, I have to say this is 80s gene cheese. Like this is cheesy gene. It's campy. The murder. And high heels like that wouldn't even make it into like an 80s um like thriller movie for soundtrack like it'd just be too goofy <laughs> it's so bad that i have to call it like 80s cheese or camp that's the only compliment i can give it because it's so terrible <laughs> yeah it could have been it could have been the closing track on a like a blood be my bloody valentine 80s b movie this is slasher the, this is <laughs> yeah, this is the end credits that nobody's sticking around for. Right. Unless, yeah. You, yeah. unless you know there's a bonus uh, a bonus track afterwards that you're going to suffer to go, go through this track. <laughs> okay, so here's what I ended up with um, with track listing wise. And I think it's it, it helps to spread out the good and help to spread out the bad. Uh, and it makes the album kind of at least waffle like this rather than go and then go like this. Um so I've had enough into the fire starts the album, then burn bitch burn is track number two, then back to heavens on fire for track number three, get all you can take at track number four, lonely is the hunter closing out um, the first side with track number five, flipping around, I flip the cassette under the gun starts us off, then we move murder and high heels up to track number two. Um, and that's going to make Murder in High Heels look really bad because it's coming on the, the, the back end of, of Under the Gun, but it's not going to spoil the end of my album. Um, then Thrills in the Night, because that way I've got a little bit of separation. Thrills in the Night kind of draws you back in. And then While the City Sleeps. While the City Sleeps, just as soon as it starts, it sounds like, okay, we're wrapping this up. This album's getting ready to wrap up. And then by the time they get to the end and they deconstruct it the way they do, and it just kind of fades out. To me, that's the perfect thing. You'd be like, okay, let me flip it back. Let me rewind it a little bit, flip it back over and see if I can catch the beginning of Heaven's on Fire. So I, I love that's the way tapes used to work. We used to guess. I, as a matter of fact, I used to know. I used to do this. This is this is some for you newer kids that didn't work with cassettes a lot. When my when a song on one side came on, and I knew um, that I liked that song, I would stop it just as woo woo woo, getting ready to start. I'd stop it. I'd flip the tape over, hit play, find out where it was in that song, and I'd be like, and as that song was going through and playing, I'd be on the B side or on the opposite side of the song I liked. As soon as it hit that spot, if I wasn't into that song and I, I, I was pretty much done with the rest of the album, I'd be like. This is where I get off, hit stop, flip it over, and then click, woo, 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 and then start my song that I wanted to hear. 
that's that's your your cassette analytics. <laughs> that you, that you... Well, I had cassettes as a child, but I wasn't like that. It was just put it in, hit play. <laughs> I actually ruined I ruined my my one cassette tape when I was little. <laughs> my very first cassette, little bit of trivia. My very first cassette that I ever owned, my mom bought me at uh, Gaston Mall, and it was Jay Giles Band Freeze Frame, had centerfold on it. That was my very first cassette. I don't remember mine. <clears throat> Mine was the Mulan soundtrack, Disney's Mulan soundtrack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so, um, do you think that we, uh, do you feel like collectively as producers here that we fixed, animalized, and made it better? Do you think we made it better with with our suggestions? And I guess you watching. I know you are down in the comments. Hey, do it. Hit the <laughs> thumbs up or or get down there in the comments and put us on blast or whatever, because the algorithm doesn't care either way. Um, <laughs> track listing, what track listing would you you guys do that you're watching? Uh, what would you do? Um, you know, what would you, what would you have changed about Animalize? Um, I think Animalize is a, it's a good album. I mean, it's not one of my favorites according to um, my previous list. And honestly, if I was to retrack everything and re-evaluate my list, it would probably still come kind of towards the bottom. Uh, I don't think it would move up very high because it's got to push albums out of the way that I like a whole lot better um, to to um, push push it out of the way. So, um, is this uh, where's is is Animalize even even either in uh, either you guys top ten? Is it a top 10 album for you? Top 20? It's it's top 20 for me. Um man. It's not top 20 for me. It's not is M is it even top 20 for you? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> what what makes this a strong album for me, I think, is the time frame that I came in being a late 80s, early 90s Kiss fan, and mm -hmm. the fact that I had Animalized live and uncensored, so I was going back to this album because of that concert mm -hmm. uh, video dvd whatever you know yeah. it may be and the fact that this is a platinum album mm -hmm. that heaven's on fire drags this album to the finish line and past mm -hmm. the finish line that that song is still played live to this day and you can hear it on classic rock stations or whatever yep. So yep. I think because hair, of that, that hair metal all the time, it's on, it's hair, on nation hair nation. All the time, yeah. All the time. I think because of that, this elevates it for me a lot higher on my list. Just because I'm not saying that I'm not going to put this up against rock and roll over by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the nostalgic part of my kiss fandom, if it's not in the top 10, it's floating somewhere in the teens yeah. and probably, you know, I don't know. We we haven't got that far on our show yet to to rank this, but mm -hmm. it's probably somewhere between fifteen to eighteen, probably in that in that ballpark. Yeah, I mean, just kind of in closing, if you look at this, I mean, on paper, it's not a bad album because I've had enough. Great song, Heaven's on Fire. Great song, Burn, Bitch, Burn. Great song, Get All You Can Take. Great song, Lonely as the Hunter. Not so great. Under the Gun. Great song. Thrills in the Night, great song. While the City Sleeps, not that great. Murder in High Heels, not that great. It's six to three. The problem is these three are stinkers. 
You know, I mean, for the most part, they're they're not they're not really they are way below. And I think that's what killed this album for me when I went back and re-reviewed it. It was one of those albums that when it came out, I loved it. I was I was all in for Animalize. I was all in for Asylum. I was coming off of Lick It Up. I was all in for Lick It Up. I was all in for Creatures. Um, it's just, and I, I, I love the tour. I love the concert. I watch that concert all the time. It is great. The songs are better in the concert. And uh, it's just, but I was removed from it for a while. And then I went back and listened to it. And I wasn't looking at it with rose-colored glasses and wasn't looking mm. at it in high, you know, in, in, that era that I was listening to it in just looking at it fresh. Cause it'd been real. So, uh, so long since I'd heard songs, um, a lot, if they weren't hits or whatever, I hadn't heard them in a while. And I was just thinking, man, this song, ha- this album has just got a lot of really not so great songs on it. Um, but, uh, but you know, uh, it's, I'm glad for it because I'm glad for Heaven's on Fire. That's a song that a lot of people know Kiss by. You put on Heaven's on Fire and people's like, oh, that's Kiss. They know Kiss and it's the non-makeup Kiss. And it's before they started looking too glitzy and ridiculous like they did in it with Asylum. Um, so they kind of looked kind of street, kind of cool. I mean, the fur was a little much. Uh, they weren't quite what they were with Lick It Up. Um, Lick It Up was like really street-ish and everything, but... Um, you know, here, you know, they look like they're getting ready to go out and hunt deer. Uh, you know, I mean, they look like they look like they're getting ready to go out deer hunting here in the south, you know, hunting some deer. So um, I don't know. Um, but I, I like the album. I, you know, I like it. Um, so the next album in the Let's Fix the Kiss albums, working my way up my list, the next album is going to be Peter Chris's 1977 solo album. I'm sorry. Were you saying something? <laughs> Can Peter Chris's 1977 solo album be fixed? Yeah. If he doesn't record it. <laughs> so I've got a pretty good guy. I got a pretty good person in mind to be our um, co-producer on this. And Rob can sit back and, uh, sleep. Um, he can bring us coffee. While yeah, Rob can... sleeps. While Rob sleeps. <laughs> Peter Chris. Yay. You know, there's actually there's actually three or four songs on that album that I actually really do like. I'll be perfectly honest. Okay. Three. So you know, four. I know it's not it's, it's some of the people's least favorite album in the catalog. It was real low with mine, and it's not that I don't like the album. It's just there's a lot better albums above it. So we will be back next month in the month of March when we will have uh, Rob back and um, Rob's not reviewed uh, Peter Chris on his channel yet. It'll be a while before he gets to it. Yeah. It might be maybe, Uh, but who knows? Uh, But if he hasn't, then he's going to kind of just offer in some thoughts, not give too much insight. So he don't give away but I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna. I got to talk to a guy. I know a guy that has been <laughs> in videos before, and I think that he would really um, probably like being in this video. And uh, he loves talking, Peter Chris. M might kind of know who I'm talking about, but don't say anything. <laughs> you might kind of know who I'm talking about. 
Um, so um, we'll I'll see about getting him in uh, and on to Peter Chris, and uh, we will we will be back in March. Um, so Rob, um, tell tell the kind people out there in you and not so kind people out there in YouTube <laughs> land where they can find you. Uh, you can find the three of us, my other two better halves, Nick and Nico Caruso, uh, right between the eyes podcast. You can find us on YouTube. We're using YouTube as kind of like our preview clip. We'll, we record just like Brant's doing here, and I extrapolate the audio, put it up as an audio show, but I'll put like a two-minute, five-minute video clip and sometimes we'll do full episodes but you can find us on all your pod catchers your itunes google play stitchers and all that for the audio version of our show right between the ice podcast and we're on twitter at rbte podcast and you can find us on facebook at right between the ice podcast thanks for having me on again as executive producer yes yes <laughs> emily where can where can they find you um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at FlapperGame16. And then I'm on YouTube as just my regular name, Emily Graziano. And yeah, I think that's all I'm on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do other videos like Classic Hollywood and um, Classic Hollywood and Kiss, basically. That's what I do. <laughs> and a lot of stuff with the Queen and everybody in England and... Well, I actually try to stay away from that because it's so controversial but mm. uh, with everything. But um, I, I try to stick with, like, pieces of art that people can critique, whether it's films or music. But, like, I, I just think it's too controversial to say anything about, like, the royal family <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you know, you guys know where you can find me if you've been here. If you haven't been here before, you can find me on Instagram and you can find me on Twitter at In My Head Channel. And you can find me on Patreon at In My Head. No, no Facebook for right now. And you can find me here uh, at youtube.com forward slash in my head. So that's all we've got for this one, guys, guys and gal. Thank you so much. Emily, it was good to see you again. And we've got enough videos to go through that we'll have you back in another one uh, sometime in the next few months. And uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us for a little while. Be sure to go over to Podomatic and the link will be down in the description. You can go there and you can probably, this might get trimmed down a little bit because YouTube don't like videos that are over two hours long. So it might be trimmed down a little bit. Um, and so if, if this video is much less than two hours, then there is a lot more content over on the Podomatic audio only that you can download and you can listen to. It gets RS, RS feeded, RSS feeded out to Spotify, Apple, all the podcasts that's out there, but you can go straight to the source, podomatic.com. And like I said, the, my description or my link is down in the description. So thank you guys. Thanks for hanging out with me and thanks for staying up late with me. We're shooting this. It's almost 11 o'clock. And, uh, so we appreciate, I appreciate my guests, and I will see you guys on the screen. I'll see y'all in the next ones, and we'll see all of you in the next ones. Take care. Be safe. And uh, that's it. That's a wrap. Three, two, two one. One. <laughs> <laughs>